Thank you for being here. We are thrilled that you're with us today. And we invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 17. The transfiguration of Jesus is related to us in verses 1 through 8 and verses 9 through 13. We see the disciples speaking to Jesus about all they've seen and how it relates to what they have known. But in Matthew 17 from the New American Standard Bible 1995 update, the text says six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, why then did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he had spoken to them of John the Baptist. As always, the text is greater than we are. What God has said is greater than our ability to relate it. But in this particular passage, it is powerful what we see of Jesus. And I hope we can paint this in such a way today as to stir and strengthen faith. Six days later, Jesus goes up to the mountain and brings with him Peter, and James and John. Peter, James, and John were associated with Jesus at times the other disciples were not. For example, 
when Jesus was raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, only Peter, James, and John were present in Mark 5, in verse 37. In Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John were closer to him than the other disciples in Matthew 26, in verse 37. Isn't it interesting that these disciples are close to him in events that particularly highlight the death and resurrection. Peter, James, and John go up with Jesus to a high mountain and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments became white as light. Mark's gospel says in Mark 9 verse 3 that his garments were so white that there was no launderer on earth that could make them that white. Jesus' face is shining brilliantly like the sun as God is said to wrap himself in a cloak of light. In Psalm 104 verse 2, his face is shining like the sun and even his garments are shining and became white. Later in the book of Matthew, we will find when the angel descends from heaven to roll away the stone, that his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow in Matthew 28 in verse 3. But Jesus' face is shining like the sun and his garments became as white as snow. Now, earlier today, we were singing these words. Mild, he lays his glory behind. Born that men no more can may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give us second birth. And I, I'm thankful that John sang it better than I'm reading this because I'm missing any words. But this is a line I particularly wanted to hear. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hell incarnate deity. That, that, is a, that is a profound song. Veiled in flesh. Well, that describes much of Jesus' life in a very real sense right here. That veil is taken away. And his face is shining like the sun. And his garments are glistening white. And the disciples had been asleep according to Luke 9, verse 32. But they awake to this appearance. They awake to this awesome appearance, which probably, a couple of indicators from Luke, happened at night to make it all the more brilliant. And suddenly, Moses and Elijah are speaking with Jesus. 
At the end of the Old Testament, Malachi 4 verse 4 had mentioned the law of Moses. And Malachi 4 verses 5 and 6 talked about the coming of Elijah who would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And here are Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus, talking with him. I suppose that they recognized him via the conversation. That something was said that Peter and John and James recognized who it is who is speaking with Jesus. And remember from our class in Deuteronomy that Moses prayed to see the promised land and just step foot in the promised land. And he doesn't get to. But now... He's stepping foot in the promised land. And Moses and Elijah, according to Luke 9 and verse 31, are speaking of Jesus' exodus, Jesus' departure, Jesus' death. That's what they're speaking to him about. As they speak to him about the death of Jesus, no doubt these characters show due reverence and respect to Jesus. And Peter waking up and not knowing what to say, says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But but Mark and Luke tell us he didn't know what he was saying. He does not recognize the significance of what he's saying. Give Peter credit for this. He wants this glorious experience to continue. And just as the tabernacle was built in Israel so that God may dwell with man. And the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated as the people lived in booths. In this particular case, let us make three booths. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. Oh Lord, it's good for us to be here. But he didn't understand the significance of all the words that he was speaking. These are not three characters on equal level. There is one character that rises above all others, even these great Old Testament, this great Old Testament lawgiver Moses and this great prophet. Elijah, And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadows them. As sometimes clouds were ways that God revealed himself in the Old Testament. Or God spoke as the cloud of the glory of the Lord gathered. And, and here, the glory of the Lord overshadows them. And there's a voice from the cloud that said, this is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now many of you recognize that most of those were words spoken at Jesus' baptism. In Matthew 3 and in verse 17. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That last phrase, listen to him, is added. And there is much depth and richness in what God says of Christ. Peter had confessed, you are the Christ, 
the son of the living God. He just confessed that. And Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer and go to Jerusalem and be rejected and to be killed and on the third day be raised. He speaks to them of things they never expected of the Messiah. But God is confirming, Peter, your words are true. The words that you spoke for all the rest are true. This is my Son. And this seems to be a quote or an allusion to Psalm 2-7. Where Psalm 2-7 spoke of the coming Messiah as a conquering king. Right after this statement, this is my son, today I have begotten him. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as an inheritance. And the ends of the earth as your possession. The son of man would be the conquering king. He is the conquering king prophesied in Psalm 2 but he is also the suffering servant of Isaiah as Isaiah's 42 1 is alluded to here in verse 5 in whom I am well pleased and later in the book of Isaiah that sufferer was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased listen to him Jesus is the conquering king and his suffering servant and he is the prophet like Moses that the people must listen to in everything now particularly I think this voice listen to him while it applies to everything Jesus said is specifically applied to those words he has just been teaching his disciples that he is going to be rejected that he is going to be killed that he's going to be raised from the dead listen to what he's saying listen to what he's saying the disciples are overwhelmed with fear at this sight. And they all fall to their faces as each of us would. If this scene were reenacted before us right now. They fall on their face in awe of what this one whose face is shining like the sun whose garments are glistening white, of whom the Father speaks these words, but He touches them and says, Do not be afraid. And they look. They lift up their eyes. And only Jesus is present. Moses and Elijah are no longer on the scene. Jesus is there. Jesus said, tell this vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. This is the fifth time Jesus has said, don't tell anyone. And he gives a time limit. Till the Son of Man has risen from the dead. His disciples are asking, is this what the scribes mean when they say that Elijah is going to come first? Is, is, that, what, is that what they mean? And Jesus shows 
in one respect the scribes are correct in one respect they're incorrect they are correct that Elijah is coming first and will restore all things they're correct in that particular aspect they are incorrect in that they have failed to recognize when he came Elijah has come already and they did to him whatever they wanted that prophet of God that Elijah who was coming to restore all things was beheaded by Herod Antipas and it was exactly what the scribes would have wanted to happen to John the disciples understood that he spoke to them about John the Baptist think about how the glory of the Lord is unveiled in this scene. This awesome scene that is beyond my ability or our ability to properly describe. A scene if we were to experience, we would all fall on our faces in awe of God. Think about the disciples who witnessed this. Peter, James, and John. The fact that they ultimately told the story is shown by the fact that it appears in all three Gospels. But I want you to think of how different this scene is from a scene that they are soon to witness. Now, the next couple of very good charts that I have are the product of David Garland in his book, Reading Matthew. A brief book which does a tremendous job with this particular book. But I want you to think about how this scene contrasts with the cross Jesus' two companions here, his two companions in Matthew 17 are Moses the lawgiver and Elijah the prophet. But his two companions in Matthew 27 verse 38, two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right and the other on the left. The Bible says they were talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus. And as we stated, the Gospel of Luke tells us specifically what they were talking about. They were talking about Jesus' exodus. The exodus from the Old Testament is a picture of what will be accomplished through the death of Jesus. But while they spoke with Jesus about profound things, about deep things, and no doubt spoke with reverence, the two robbers who are crucified with Jesus are insulting him. And mocking him. Think about the contrast in this 
Jesus' garments, His face is shining like the sun. When He's crucified, the sun stops shining at all. And darkness covers the earth. But now His face is shining as the sun. And His garments are as white as light. When Jesus is handed over to to be crucified, the soldiers divide His garments among themselves. In both cases, Elijah's name is invoked. Here he appears and he speaks with Jesus. And his disciples are asking, is this what was said about Elijah? But when Jesus cries out on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, some misunderstand and think he's calling for Elijah. And they say, let's see whether Elijah will come to speak. In both cases, you see something profound about nature. I don't know if I said it the best way. Nature surprises. But in one case, Jesus' face is shining like the sun. In another case, when he dies, there is an earthquake. But I'll tell you something the scenes have in common. The scenes have in common this. In Matthew 17, 5, the heavenly voice proclaims, This is my beloved Son. And the centurion and those with him in Matthew 27 54 say this was the son of God now what do we do with this isn't it difficult to think wouldn't it be difficult for Peter James and John who had witnessed his face shining like the sun who witnessed Moses and Elijah speaking with him who'd heard the heavenly voice that said this is my son in whom I well pleased wouldn't it be difficult for them to imagine how can he be shamed his garments taken uh, the sun refusing to shine how can he be experiencing this everything about this transfiguration contracts with the crucifixion. But, but, there are comparisons, there are parallels between the transfiguration and the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. It is on a high mountain that Jesus takes his disciples to see the transfiguration but in Matthew 28 verse 16 he will gather all his disciples to a mountain in Galilee and he will tell them all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all I've commanded you even to the end of the world Both of these scenes have a mountain picture. And the verb come is a common word. In the English language, it was in the Greek language. But only two times in the book of Matthew is Jesus the subject of the verb. Jesus came to his disciples in Matthew 17, 7 and touched them. And then in Matthew 
28 in verse 16 and 17. The Bible, it's actually verse 18 where it says Jesus came up and spoke to them. There's parallels between this and the resurrection. And just as, just as the Peter, James, and John are gripped with fear, as they're gripped with fear, so the women who are told, are you looking for Jesus of Nazareth? He is not here, but he is risen. They are overwhelmed with fear. The soldiers were afraid. The women were afraid. But just as Jesus touched this disciple and said, do not be afraid. The women who came to the tomb are told in Matthew 28, verse 5, do not be afraid. After they're told all that has transpired in verse 10 and told to go tell the disciples, they are told once more, do not be afraid. As we stated last week, we follow a crucified Savior. Matthew 17 does not remove us from this fact because we see that John suffered at the hands of those who rejected him and so would the Son of Man. It does not eliminate the cross. But Matthew 17 highlights the glory that follows. And it gives the disciples an advanced preview of a coming attraction. It gives them an advanced preview of Jesus in glory. As his face is shining like the sun and his garments are glistening white. And the Father proclaims his glory. It gives us an advanced preview. Of eternity. As horrible, as unthinkable, as cross flies, Jesus seems to be on the cross six hours. This picture is eternal. With his face shining, his garments glistening, and all falling at his feet. As a disciple, as disciples, we may have to walk through our ten days of trial as Jesus spoke to the people at Smyrna. But there is a glory that is beyond all comparison. Do you see the description of Jesus' face in verse 2? His face 
was shining like the sun, using the present tense, his face shining like the sun. Look back to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Matthew 13 was a picture of judgment. This is a picture of judgment that highlights the judgment, the punishment of the wicked. It does not focus on the blessing of the righteous. It focuses on, verses 40 through 42, the judgment on the wicked at the end of time. But there is something said about the righteous. Look at verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The same kind of thing that was said of Jesus at the transfiguration is said of the disciples when the Lord returns. This particular word, transfigured, is only used four times in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew and Mark to talk about this same account. And it's used in Romans 12 and verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable the will of God. Paraphrase of Romans 12 and verse 2. The transfiguration, the same word, the transfiguration of Jesus applies to what he can do in your life and in my life. The other passage that uses the word is 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed, transformed, transfigured. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transfigured in the same image from glory just as from the Lord. From glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The point that I'm trying to stress, for those who behold His glory and are transformed into His image, when He returns, our face will shine as the sun Beloved, we are now the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when He appears, we shall be like Him. And we will see Him as He is. 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. When he does, we will fall on our face before him. We will not have to be told 
Do not be afraid. But we will fall on our face before Him and worship Him. All history is moving toward this moment that His glory is displayed. To miss that is going to miss miss the purpose of your whole existence. The point for which God created you. Let us pray. O Lord our God, You are worthy of worship and praise. We stand in awe of you. When your glory is unveiled, The light is so brilliant, we cannot look up on your face. May this picture sustain us in temptation, in brokenness. In fatigue, may this picture of glory be imprinted on our hearts and minds. And may we have the blessing by your mercy and by your goodness of experiencing this throughout eternity in spite of our unworthiness. Bring us to this day in fellowship with you because of him, Jesus, we can pray. Amen. Has the glory of Jesus been the consuming passion of your life? Has it been what drives you? If so, today is a good day to change. Maybe you've never become a Christian. And we see people in the New Testament repenting of sins and being baptized into Christ for remission of sins. People who had done that and fallen away, they asked for prayers and forgiveness. If you want to make His glory your passion and your driving force, we invite